0: Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. So how is has uh, 2020 treated you so far? Good? A good start to the year? Nice? Was anybody shocked at the ice that was on your windshield this morning? I was surprised by that. I wasn't prepared for that, right? Uh, uh, The year is, it's weird that January, like we're kind of in the middle of January already. Like it it just seems like the older I get, the faster time goes. Anybody else feel that? Like I remember as a kid, it was like every day felt like a millennia. You know, like watching you. Like, all right, I can watch a show at four o'clock, and the clock says three forty. Those twenty minutes felt like an eternity. And now it's like, man, where January is almost gone. Like, what in the world? Like, like somebody slow time down. And, and when we were actually over the break, my family and I. Uh, I don't know what happens at breaks at your house, but they're kind of like multi-purpose. It's like rest, connection new board games, all those things happen. But it's also kind of like a time to catch up on projects that have just been lingering and lingering and lingering. So one of those projects was, um, I don't know if you who have kids, uh, have kids that suffer from a Lego addiction like mine do, um, but we have a, you know, Legos have changed. Like when I was a kid, you got a big, vat of Legos and you built what you wanted to build. And half of the fun of building it was destroying it after you built it, right? Not anymore. Now it's like you build like these worlds, you know, these Lego cities and things. And so our son's room is completely overtaken with all of these Lego sets. And so one of my projects that it's been a project for months, don't judge me, was to build shelves to alleviate some of the Lego floor pressure that is happening in our boy's room. And so I went to the store and I got the shelves that like look really cool, the floating shelves. You guys know what I'm talking about? And, and, and you begin to question your life trying to hang these shelves. Because they look great when they're done. If you can, if you can measure the screws right, if you can get it all lined up right, if you can make sure it's level, and you know, and then you get like one shot. If you're not on a stud, you know, like you put that anchor in and then you miss, and then the shelf doesn't go in or it's a little bit crooked, and you can't just like, oh, I'm gonna move it over a little bit. No, no, no. You gotta like plaster the hole because, believe me, I tried to shortcut it. There is no shortcut. But we finally got them hung. Now this entire time where I'm hanging these shelves, I'm having to convince my son, Tate, who's sitting right here up in the front, that it is going to be okay that we are going to put his Legos on the shelf. It's going to be fine, bro. Your Legos are going to be cool on these shelves. It's not going to matter. It's going to be great. Look how cool it's going to look, man, all the Star Wars stuff together. So I'm convincing him as I'm hanging them, and so we begin to start putting these Lego sets Onto the shelf now before we had made the decision that we were gonna just make the shelves a Star Wars Just galaxy galactic glory land. I just started putting Legos on the shelf like I was I was ready for the project to be done. Okay, like truthfully I was like can we just move on I've been dealing with these shelves for too long Let's just get some Legos on there. So I grab a helicopter And I set it on the shelf, and I turn around, and as soon as I turn around, I hear, right? The helicopter had wheels on it. The shelves, obviously, look at me, were not level, okay? (laughs) And so the helicopter rolled down the shelf, off the shelf, onto the floor, and everything that I told my son would not happen, happened as hours of work was erased in seconds. Now, I was actually, you know, putting this little helicopter back together again, and I was struck. I was like, it is so much harder to put it back together again than it is to build it for the first time. Like, it's so much more complicated, like... We've put it together again. We thought we had it all back together again. And then there was like lots of leftover pieces. And so I was like, I don't know where these go. Let's just not even worry about them because it, it looks, it looks better on the outside. Like we got the outside. So this might be some structural support, but it's not, we're not flying this helicopter, Kate. Like let's just, right? It's so much harder to put something back together again that's broken. than it it is to build it wisely at the beginning. It's so much more complicated to try to rebuild something that's been destroyed. And here's the thing, when it's destroyed, like when that helicopter was on the ground, was completely messed up, I, I knew that all of the pieces were there to build a helicopter. But that didn't make it a helicopter. It was now just pieces of Legos. The the parts were there, but it wasn't what it was because what it was was broken. And and we're starting a series this week that we're going to be in for the next four weeks, and we're calling this series, Love Your Neighbor. And it's because I honestly can't think of a better picture of what's been kind of happening in culture Than looking at a broken Lego set and being like, oh, look, isn't this cool? And then going like, okay, it's gonna be a lot harder to put that back together again than it was to build it for the first time. Because what's happening in culture is that I don't know if you've noticed, but it's broken. Have you noticed that? Like we're having trouble getting along. Have you felt that? Right? Have you felt the tensions that seeming they're they're like it seems to be growing in intensity. Right? Divisions between us seems to be getting bigger, not closer. And Jesus actually in Matthew 22 speaks to this when he's being peppered with questions by some religious leaders in Matthew twenty-two they're trying to this is what they did, right? They the 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 religious leaders of the day couldn't figure Jesus out. They're like, we can't figure you out, man. And so they would try to trap him because they were convinced like you have to be a fraud. You can't be who you say that you are because I just can't see it how all works together. And and so they were pepper him with these questions to try to trap him. And so they asked him with this they asked him a question, teacher what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, he could have stopped right there. And that's a yes and amen jesus you answer the question right way to go but he goes on and says and the second is like the first the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself and the reason why we wanted to do this series called love your neighbor is because we are saying that at the beginning of this new decade isn't that fun to say new decade right at the beginning of this new decade The season of division needs to end. And a season of unity and hope needs to begin. Like we have an opportunity as the church to be a church that says we're not okay with looking at a pile of what's broken and saying, yeah, there's a house there. But doing the hard work of saying, you know what, we want to lean into the wisdom of God and be wise master builders and see God restore and reconstruct what sin has broken. And I believe that when Jesus said that we need to love our neighbor as ourself, he was not just admonishing us to be nice to one another. He was coming against in full force and authority what sin does to humanity that's why when he connected the first and second commandment it wasn't by accident that's why he put emphasis on it and said it's just like the first to love god is to love your neighbor but society is drifting further and further from this concept of loving our neighbor and we've kind of redefined our neighbor as what i would like to say our brother and our sister meaning that we want to love people who love what we love. We want to love people that like what we like, that dress how we dress, that talk how we talk, that look how we t- look. Like we, so so we're, we're leaning as a society into more of an understanding of not loving our neighbor, but just loving those who love what we love, loving our brother and our sister And I just want to say that this is pulling us away from the picture of who God has called us to be as the church. That we have to to learn to to love our neighbor. We We have to realize That we're not naturally drawn to things that are different than us. We're drawn to things that are like us. And therefore, there are going to be moments where we have to step into what we might not understand for the sake of the gospel getting into the ears and hands and eyes of those who are over there. If we are obsessed with what is like us, we are going to miss the majority of what is around us. The the consequence of becoming a society that's obsessed with loving our brother and our sister versus loving our neighbor is that we oftentimes don't even see what's happening around us. We only see what we want to see around us. And we narrow our view as we narrow our relationships, as we narrow where we have influence, and we just start going tighter and tighter and tighter because the norm in our society is increasingly pulling us to love those who love what we love and to hate those who love what they love. But I believe that God has made a way to heal us Believe that God's made a way for us to experience restoration and unity and to lean on the command to love him with everything and to love each other the same way. A- in college, uh, my wife and I uh, were on volunteer college staff. Now, what that means is that you're in charge of nothing, but you order a lot of pizza. But we had a great time being on the team. And at the time, the college pastors were Robert and Stephanie Herber. And Robert and Steph are like spiritual parents to Liz and I. And actually, Robert is going to be sharing on World Mandate Sunday here from this very stage. And he's now the pastor of one of San Diego's fastest growing churches called All People's Church. And they're just seeing God do some incredible things. And I I can't wait to hear the the word that God has given him for us. But at the time, Rob was the college pastor. I'm on volunteer staff. And Rob and Steph were building a house next to the church. And, you know, I don't know how many of you have ever built a house, but there's something that happens every time you build a house. And that is this. It's going to cost more than you thought it was going to cost. And so they kind of hit that point. They 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 it, it got to the construction got to a point where they had spent all that they had, all that they thought that they needed to be able to build this house. They had spent it all, and the house was not done. And it was a super discouraging time for them. And they were just kind of like stuck waiting for some like financial miracle. And so a few of us, a few of us on staff, were like, you know what, like let's rally the college ministry to give to Robert and Steph's need and maybe we can get these college kids to actually pony up the rest of the money that they need to build their house like how cool would that be to to like be able to present them a check for the thousands of dollars that they needed to finish their house from these like poor college kids that don't tithe you know like we're like Man, this the, like what a great! We were excited about it. We, we our faith was low, but our hope was high. Right? I mean, we were like, "This is a great idea. We might present them a check for like fifty bucks." But you know what? It's the thought that counts. And so we started kind of like getting the word out and spreading it, and like cash started coming in. We ended up raising over the amount that they needed to finish the house. It was so cool. It was a mind blow to be a part of it. And so we start devising this plan, like, what are we going to do to present this gift to Robert and Steph? And so we're like, oh, let's do it at a college service. Everybody will be there. It's going to be amazing. And so they look at me and they're like, hey, JD, why don't you be in charge of presenting the check, right? I mean, that's Basically, the amount of responsibility you get as a volunteer staff person, you can walk out with the check, right? So they make this whole plan. Everything's going on. I'm backstage with my buddy Drew, and we're thinking, this is going to be a celebration, man. This is going to be a party. We're going to, and people are going to be cheering. Robert and Steph are going to be shouting. This is going to be so amazing. And so we like are laughing backstage like, dude, I can't wait to give him this check. We've made one of those like big checks, you know. And we're all pumped up. And we're just kind of wasting time and waiting for the service to get to the point where we're going to walk out on the stage. And we stumble across the kids ministry costume closet. Now, I'm thinking, Bro. This is going to be a celebration. What makes every celebration better? Costumes. And so we're like thumbing through this. I'm like, dude, let's put some stuff on, bro. We're going to go out there. People are going to be like cheering. We're going to walk out in costumes. It's going to go from like level 10 to level 15. It's going to be amazing. And so I find like this giant heart that like you put on. And the heart is like this. And the point of the heart kind of like just, you know what I mean? Like... And so I I put it on, and I look at myself in the mirror. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is great. And then my buddy Drew goes, oh, Griff, there's some tights in here. I'm like, give them to me. So I go into the back, take my jeans off, put tights on. So just imagine, right? So inappropriate. This is why I was on volunteer staff. And not on staff, right? And then we find, like, these size 20 clown shoes. And Drew's like, oh, dude, put these on, bro. This is going to be hilarious. So we're in the back, and I'm like, on the, you know, and we're laughing. We're not even really paying attention to what's going on in the stage. And, and so we kind of hear, like, oh, it's about to happen. It's about to happen. And, and Robert Fuller, the guy who is the worship leader, calls up and Steph, and Steph. And, and he says, hey, guys, we've been in the tone of the room just shifts like on a dime. It's not like a party. It's not like a celebration. It's like everyone is in awe of the provision of God. Rob and Steph are weeping. I, I mean like, like ugly crying weeping, right? And like everyone is like standing on their feet like we love you. We honor you. We see your life. And now I'm standing on the side of the stage and I hear and we have a check for you and I'm like oh no. And so I drew, I actually called him. I was like, bro, do you remember how you were in a costume too? And you pushed me out there alone and you left me. And he goes, oh, I wasn't wearing a costume, bro. I'm like, oh, no, you blocked that out of your memory. You were wearing a costume too. And so here I am in a heart tights, okay, with my head down shuffling in size 20 clown shoes, walking in slow motion to present this check to my weeping college pastors that are overwhelmed at the provision of God. And as I walk from the darkness into the light, silence goes over the entire auditorium because now 800 college students are looking at me going, why is JD wearing a giant heart? And is that tights? Oh, Jesus, it is tights. What is happening? And little do they know that as I'm inching my way towards Robert, I'm thinking the same thing. Like, what are you doing? And why? Like, I misread that moment like a champ. I mean, I felt so out of place. I felt so like a fish out of water. Like, are you kidding me? Like, how bad can you miss how a moment is going to feel? I'm wearing a heart costume with inappropriate tights and Shaq's basketball shoes. And I'm thinking this is going to be a good idea. And I mean, can we just all agree that there's fewer things in life that are more uncomfortable than feeling out of place? Like you feel like you don't fit, you feel like you're out of place, I mean, it's uncomfortable, like we don't like it. We will go to great lengths to not feel that. We will shape our entire life to not feel like we're out of place because we're not drawn to things that are different. We're drawn to things that are familiar, and none of us want to connect with that. None of us want to experience walking out on the stage in a heart costume and tights, and I would have to say, take my word for it, don't do it. But the thing is, is that we do not like to feel out of place. We, we don't like it. And so because of that, we begin to build our lives around people who are wanting to do the things that we do. Feeling like you don't fit. It's so disfit, tasteful that we will make sure that we never have to feel it again. I read an article in the Washington Post that was titled, The Retribalization of America. And in it, this article, it described so perfectly this resistance that is emerging in culture that this, I don't want to feel like I don't fit, so I'm going to find the place that I fit, and I'm going to hang out with where I fit, and I'm going I'm to love, not my neighbor, I'm going to love my brother and my sister, the people that love what I love, like what I like. Vote for what I vote for. Believe what I believe. Those are the people that I'm going to love. And this description of what was written in this article by a secular author absolutely nailed it. It says the American public is now composed of self-seeking tribes, each of whom's views its success, views its success in terms of defeating its enemy. It's no longer like you're wrong, it's you're my enemy. And so this division has emerged in culture where we're not even associating with people that are in different tribes. And society is saying, not the church, society is saying that America is now composed of self-seeking tribes, each of whom views its success by defeating its enemy. This is our world. We've all been affected by this. This is the reality that we live in. It shapes all of us and the consequences of it blind us from seeing the people that are in front of us. And it is not just caused a societal tension. I believe it's caused a kingdom of heaven misrepresentation. Genesis 1:26 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Now, just for a few seconds... Can you just allow me to dig a little deeper just past the surface on this passage? Can we just lean in just a little deeper to this? Because it's important for us to understand that the implications of understanding and unpacking what it means for us to be made in the image of God will lead to us understanding how to love our neighbor even when we don't agree with our neighbor. There's a theologian in the early 1800s named A. A. Hodge, and he unpacked for us in his commentary of the Westminster Shorter Catechism that the image of God can be broken into two aspects. The image of God can be broken into two aspects. There's the constitutional image of God, and then there's the moral and spiritual image of God. And simply put, the constitutional likeness of God is in us. It would be called the, the fingerprint of God on us, that it can't be stolen. It can't be taken from you. It's the beauty. It's the creativity. It's the glory of God in you and the way that God made you and only you. You're one of a kind. God birthed you. He dreamed of you. He made you in his image. His fingerprint is therefore on you. That is seen as the constitutional image of God, but the moral and spiritual image of God, his righteousness, his goodness, his godliness was lost as sin entered the world. His his moral and spiritual image was lost as sin entered the world, and it's this image that is then restored at salvation when we receive Jesus as our Lord excuse me in savior when we are born again right we're we're being transformed into his likeness in second corinthians 3:18 says and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate now now some versions would translate the word contemplate for reflect that that we all with unveiled faces will reflect the Lord's glory. That's the constitutional image of God. You reflect the glory of God and we're being transformed into his image. That's the moral and spiritual image of God with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Are you tracking with what I'm saying? So when Jesus says in Matthew 22 that the greatest commandment is to love God with everything and the second is like it, to love our neighbor as ourself, his motivation was not simply that we would just be kind to our neighbor. Jesus connected the first and second commandment because there's something in him in them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There's something of him in them. Maybe not moral or spiritually, but constitutionally, there's a fingerprint of God on all creation. We've all been made in the image of God. So when sin entered the world, I want you to see that it did not just bring a division between God and man. But there was also a division between humanity. When sin entered the earth, it did not just separate humanity from divinity. It separated humanity from humanity. And we see this when God confronts Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. Why did you do the very thing that I asked you not to do? And for the first time on the earth, we see this. Adam's like, it was her. She was like, it was him. That didn't exist before sin entered the world. Sin did not just divide us from God. Sin divided us from one another. And the divisions that we're experiencing in culture, this tribalism, this group think obsession, this I'm right and you're not just wrong, you're my enemy. It's not just a societal problem, it's a sin problem. It's a sin problem, which is why, as followers of Jesus, we have the answer. We have the solution. The church should be, and I believe will be, the driving force for reconciliation in our nation. Because we understand that how we deal with sin is to repent and change. We understand how to answer sin problems. It's with repentance, humility, and coming to Jesus and not trying to figure out better sentences or better funding. We need to repent. We need to understand that the division that we're experiencing does not stop at the societal level. Some of the divisions that we're experiencing are sin Problems because humanity from the beginning of sin entering the earth has been divided from one another. Cain and Abel. Shoo. Sin doesn't just divide us from God. Sin divides us from one another. So the gospel then doesn't just restore us to God. It restores us to one another. Galatians 3.26 So in Christ... You are all children of God through faith, for all of you were baptized into Christ and clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ. The gospel doesn't just reconcile us to God. There's grace for it to reconcile us to one another. It closed the gap between us and God and it closed the gap between me and you because we are one in Him. So then there's grace for us to be able to step into where we might not understand, what we, we might not agree because we will see the creative beauty of who God is and His glory displayed in and through those who might look different than us. Jesus calls us to step across these divisions when in Matthew 20, or excuse me, in Matthew 5 verse 43, it's almost as if Jesus had read the Washington Post article when he said this. Because he said, you've heard, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Doesn't that just sound like maybe this tribalism that we're experiencing in our culture is not a new issue? This has been an issue since sin has been an issue because sin has divided us, not just from heaven. It's divided us from one another. And so Jesus calling that into point, calling that into reality in Matthew 5, he says, you've heard love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven who caused his son to rise on evil and good. Can you see that? Jesus is saying, look, my glory rises on evil and good. That's a mind blow. That's a mind bend because we've become obsessed in our can we call it what it is in our tribalism that that. That like if you are not morally and spiritually reflecting the image of God, then I don't want to have anything to do with you. But maybe we should learn to love our neighbor and see the constitutional image of God, the fingerprint of God, what can't be lost, what sin can't destroy, and say, I see the redemptive call of God on your life, and I am going to believe in you, and I'm going to lean past what I disagree with. I'm going to lean past my emotions. I'm going to lean past what I like and what I don't like. I'm going to lean past feeling like I don't fit into this place because I want to see that restored with the moral and spiritual image of God so that you can become all that God has created you to be. Jesus says, "Love your enemies. Pray for your enemies that you may be children of your Father in heaven." Verse forty-six. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? If you just love the people that that, that love what you love and and hang out with the people that like what you like and look how you look like, what reward is in that? Even the tax collect- even the IRS can do that. Like, how powerful is that? There's no transformational fuel in that. There's no unity in the body of Christ in that. No. If you greet only your own people with what you're doing more than others, do not even pagans do that? The people without the gospel of Jesus in them, don't they even love hanging out with people that are like themselves? No, the uniqueness Of who we are in light of Jesus is that we understand that the grace of God was big enough for Jesus to step across the divide of what made him uncomfortable about the world that we live in, so that we then in turn can experience his grace and step across our divide to experience his glory in a place that we don't feel like we fit in. How do we love our neighbor? We love them by praying for them. Can it really be that simple? Can can unity really start that smoothly? That we would love them by praying for them? That we would love our neighbor by praying for our neighbor? Is it really that simple? Because what happens is that we're going to find compassion for them in the place of intercession. You see, if we don't see the fingerprint of God on our neighbor, we will not do the work of getting past what we don't agree with with our neighbor. It is only in seeing the redemptive glory of God that we will truly learn to love those who maybe don't love us. Jesus' last words to his disciples in Mark 16, verse 15, was go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation, all creation, all creation, Not, not just the parts that we understand, not just the parts that are like us, but to go into all creation, the parts that we get, the parts that we don't get the places that are like us, the places that aren't like us, the places that think similar to us, the places that don't, the ones that are comfortable, the ones that are not all. We are called to go into all creation. It's time for a church to say that we are going in. That we are going in to all creation. That we're going in we're believing that, that God will give us wisdom to be able to go in to where he's called us to be so that there isn't a single place in our city in our nation or the world that doesn't have an opportunity to experience the redemptive glory and identity of God and I just want to say we will be that church we will be the church that is going in we're going in we're going in, we're going to go in to our offices this week, not just to survive another day. We're going in with the eyes of Jesus to say, God, teach me to love my neighbor. And I want you to find the person that is just like drives you crazy. And I want you to start praying for him every day. Start there. Start praying for them every day. Start asking God, let me see the constitutional image, the fingerprint of God on them so that I can call truth out in their life and allow your intercession to fuel your compassion for them. We're going to go into our neighborhoods with a missional eye. We're going to go to our neighbor. Maybe we've lived across the street from our neighbor for 15 years. We don't even really know who they are. We know their dog's name because we're annoyed at it, but we don't really know them. Maybe we need to go in. Maybe we need to go in. We need to take that step. Maybe we need to make some cookies, make a cake or something, go and say, hey, you know what, we lived across the street from each other for 15 years, and we don't really know each other. I'm sorry. I would like to know you tell me your story how what brought you to austin why are you here maybe we need to go to the soccer field this week and not just sit in our lawn chair put on our headphones and watch netflix maybe we need to go and say god would you allow me to see the people i'm sitting right next to And to be able to learn to love them. They might not look like me. They might not talk the same language as me. They might believe something completely different than me. But that does not exclude the fact that the command over my life as a follower of Jesus is to love my neighbor as myself. Not just my brother and my sister. Not just the people that I am connected to and believe what I believe and look what I look like. No, it's to love our neighbors. Everyone. Again, just to close, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, because this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's like it. It's like it. Understand that the reason why we have division in culture is that the enemy will use sin to try to erase the image of God in culture. Therefore, if we all reflect him, the enemy wants to divide us from one another so that we can't fully see him. That's why Jesus said, love me with everything and love everybody around you with everything because there's a picture of me in them. And as you pray for them, even the ones that are your enemies, even the ones that you disagree with, that don't believe what you believe, that there's going to begin to be some restoration that begins to happen. And these broken pieces, these things that look like, how is this ever going to be a house again in the divine, sovereign wisdom of God? There's going to become a reconstruction, a restoration, not just of our souls, but of us one to another. Because just like Jesus redeemed us Jesus wants to redeem all of us together. And I believe that 2020 is going to be a year of unprecedented unity. It's going to be a year of unprecedented breakthrough in what seems to be the most divided time in our culture's history. And it's going to be coming on the back ends of a church that says, I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to be compassionate towards those who are different than me. I'm going to step across divides that make me feel like I don't fit. I'm going to lean into areas that make me feel like I'm out of place because there is something of God in them. It might not be spiritually. It might not be morally, but there is an image of God constitutionally in there. And if we start seeing people with the eyes of God and starting to look for his image and his glory, we're going to be. Driven to our knees to begin to pray for people, and our intercession is going to lead to compassion. And listen to me repentance paves the way for unity. Repentance paves the way for unity. And we can come together when we understand that we don't just have a society problem, we have a sin problem, and therefore the solution's not going to come here, the solution's going to come there. Would you stand to your feet? Jesus, I'm asking.